You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, good morning. So glad that you're here with us this morning. My name's Sheila. Last Sunday, we just finished our summer series, Restore My Soul, where we were looking in depth at Psalm 23. I sure hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, One of the other things we've been doing this summer and what we're going to be doing is we felt like there were three core messages to Every Nation GTA as a church that we wanted to speak about this summer. So the first one Bert actually preached on the first Sunday of August. It was called the... um, the blessing of giving. And he talked about the foundation, the levels, and the results of giving. And it was a great message. If you haven't listened to it, go back. It's online. Next Sunday, we're going to have a guest speaker for our online service talking about why the campus. The campus is such a uh, an essential part of who we are as every nation, not just here in Canada, but globally. So please don't miss that. You're, you're Be sure to enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Today, today I'm going to be talking about the shared life. What makes us different? The shared life. You know, um, one of the things we quickly learned during the pandemic in the city of Toronto is how many people actually live alone. Here's something from 2017. The rise in people living alone is a national trend with single-person households now representing 28.2% of all households in Canada. At 20, excuse me, at 32.3%, Toronto has an even greater proportion. That was 2017. By 2021, 29.3% of Canadians are solo occupants. And in Toronto, 33.2% of Torontonians live alone. You know, it wasn't meant to be that way. Oh, um, not just living by yourself, but the isolation and the solitude and the loneliness that's represented by those statistics, by how many people in our city and even in our church live alone. Life was never meant to be that way. Uh, loneliness doesn't just hit singles. Loneliness is prevalent, even, even families feeling isolated, or even a married couple when, when they're, all their community is just them, or even some of our kids. Even if they're in a classroom with 20 or 30 other kids, there can be that sense of being isolated and lonely. It wasn't meant to be that way. In fact, from the beginning of time, God created us to have a shared life. So we're going to look at this shared life today, and we're going to look at it under four headings. The first one is the foundation of a shared life. And then we're going to look at some obstacles to that shared life. We're going to look at practices to build a shared life. And we're going to celebrate the goodness of our shared life. So, first, the foundation for this shared life. You know, from creation, from the beginning of time, when God created the world and then he set man in it, his, and then he looked at the man and he said this, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. You've heard it before. This is not just for weddings and men and women, but that word translated man actually means human. 
And so from the creation of the world, God looked at his creation and he said, it's not good and it never will be good for him to be alone. We also see this this foundation for shared life in the very nature of the God that we serve. We actually serve a triune God. We serve a God who is Father and who is Son and who is Holy Spirit, and we're made in His image. And because we're made in His image, we're made to thrive in relationship and community. So the story of God continues in Genesis after the creation of men, man, women, mankind, where God actually chose a people. He chose a family, the descendants, the children of a man, and he set them apart, this land, this nation, this people called Israel. And in that family, he... Uh, he taught them how to live through his law, through some of the consequences they suffered when they went off track. He taught them how to live in community, how to live with one another. And actually through them at that point in history to the nations around them, God revealed himself. So part of this foundation is just the very nature of the God that we serve, that he has a community, our Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then there was Jesus centuries later when Jesus came to earth and when he started his ministry on earth, he gathered around himself a community. He chose 12 that we were called his disciples, and uh, they walked with him. But there were others. There were other times when other people, including a, a group of women who um, did life with him, who walked with him, and um, who were, they were taught by him. They lived together. I don't know if you have, um, if you've seen the I was going to call it a movie. That's not what it is. The series, The Chosen, where uh, the life of Jesus is so beautifully portrayed. Oh, there's some creative stuff in there. But one of the things as Bert and I watched a lot of those episodes was the uh, the real sense of Jesus and doing life with Jesus, how we caught a glimpse of that. So he didn't just teach those men and those women. He walked with them and he talked with them and he ate with them and he, they lived together and they traveled together and he corrected them when necessary and he called out their their junk and no 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 you that that's not the attitude that's not the way to be here here it is and and he discipled them and he showed them how to have a relationship with the father he modeled it and then when he left the earth when he died and he rose and he ascended he didn't leave just a book Ah, that's what lots of spiritual leaders over the centuries have done. They've left a book of their writings for somebody to follow, for people to follow. No, Jesus left a people. He left men and women, that initial 120 that we read about in the first chapter of Acts. He left a people, a people who he had walked with, and a people who then in turn would walk out this Christian life, this community. They'd walk out the fullness of the gospel. Uh, Continuing on this foundation, the Apostle Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, he uses the picture of a body. Um, he says in Romans 4, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. 
and, and individually members of one another. Um, Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians 12, he paints a picture of the church as this body, and he, he again uses this word member. Now, if you pulled out my wallet, I have a Y membership, and I have a Costco membership, and I have um, an Aeroplan membership, and there's probably other ones. And I think we've lost a sense of what that word translated member was what meant the original Greek. It meant member like a body part. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 12 when, when Paul begins to write about the members of the body. And, and, and he says, um, God has arranged the members in the body. Each one of them has he chose. He said other things. He said, uh, um, let me see. Ah, yes. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. And, and then he goes on to describe, and he uses things like, one body part can't save another, I don't need you. We can't despise another one. How interconnected the body is. And as we can understand that through our physical body, I'm really glad I have all 10 fingers and 10 toes and that my, uh, my senses work. And I'm, I, I can see that I have a picture of it in my physical body. Paul was saying, this is how the body of Christ is to be a connected group, uh, walking together as, a, as that body. It's super important. It's super important. That thing that, that Paul said about God, he's about him saying that God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he desired. Other translations say things like God placed each member in the body as he desired it. This for me, honestly, I've always taken it really seriously. I've wanted to know where in the body God's placed me. And I've carried that thought through my life. I want it to be as certain as I can. Where in the body? You know, the body of Christ, it's global, it's worldwide, and yet God places us as individuals in local expressions, we might say, of the church, in a church in our city or in our community or on our university campus. God actually has purpose in where he places us, in what he has for us in that place. I have taken that seriously in life. It has kept me. I have, and Bert and I together, We've wanted to know we were in the place that God wanted us to be, a part of the church that God wanted us to be members of and bringing our gifts and talents to and serving and loving and growing together. Uh, it keeps us going that when we know it's not just, well, I decided this would be a good place for me or, oh, I don't like this one anymore because there's some conflict. I'm going to move on to something else. Or that one down the street has, you know, this, um, name it, might be better. It might be their kids' stuff is better or their worship is better. No, 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 no. I've wanted always to know in my life that I'm the place that, that God has placed me where I am locally in this part of the body. Don't think for a minute. I'm sure some of you have said, oh, is this really I'm supposed to be? Don't think for a minute that pastors don't ever have that same feeling where they want to move on or quit or go on to something else. More than once in my life, I've wanted to move on. And yet, and you know, it's often because somebody's hurt you or you're offended. And yet 
I have that conviction that God places us in the body where he wants us. And it's important for us to know where that is and to to grow and to stay in that place. So there's a foundation. We're created not to be alone. We're like God. Paul points the picture of it as being a body, how integral integral each part is to the other. But you know there's obstacles. You know there are. You know there's things that come against this and uh, that, that want to isolate and separate us. So I'm just going to look at a few of them. The list could be long. But let's start with a quote by Tim Keller. Everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability or commitment to people and they run the other way. You know, the sweet part, the honeymoon part, the community sounds good. Of course, we long for friendship and relationship. But when it's to go deeper, which is what the church is supposed to do, as Keller says, people run the other way. That fear of accountability, that fear of commitment. So what are some obstacles? I have just a few. Here's one um, I was thinking about. Uh, what is a friend? You know, um, and how's your, how has your image of friendship been shaped? Um, I was thinking about um, when I was first on Facebook a really long time ago, uh, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a badge of honor how many friends you had on Facebook. But I realized how much that, that concept of friendship really diluted the, um, the true meaning of what a friend was supposed to be. I don't have a thousand friends. I have a couple of really intimate and close friends and a lot of acquaintances. So, that the first obstacle might be just some of our distorted view of what friendship is. You know, Proverbs has a lot to say about friendship, and it's pretty sweet stuff. He's uh, the writer of Proverbs says, "A friend loves at all times." Oh, I like that. And uh, a friend sticks closer than a brother. His or her advice is sweet. The advice of a friend is sweet, but it also says, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend." In other words. There are people, there should be people in each of our lives who are close enough to us, close enough to us that they're closer than a brother, they're closer than a sister. Their words and advice are sweet to us, but they have that liberty and that uh, permission from us to speak into those areas of our life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful is the correction from somebody who loves you. So first, our definition of friends, friends aren't all just the just fun and and games, but there's a, a seriousness to who should be the closest friends, who should be in our inner circle. The other thing, of course, as a society, is that sense of independence or that individualism that we we battle on every front. We live on our own. We make decisions on our own. We don't look for the, that sweet counsel of a friend, but we decide what we're going to do, and we do it. Um, we solve problems on our own. We don't look for advice because I'm an individual. No one can tell me what to do. We decide on our own, even morality, what is right and wrong. Well, I believe this about the Bible, but maybe not that. We um, we cancel stuff. If somebody offends you, what do you do with them? Well, our society lately has been saying, we'll just cancel you. We'll cancel this person in history. We'll cancel this group of people. And we do that 
in our individual relationships, when something, when troubles stir, our, 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 our knee-jerk reaction is to just cut that off, to cancel. So our independence, our individualism, what other things might keep us, you know, just isolated like that because of that um, that inward looking, that kind of self-centeredness. Uh, maybe it's our pride and our ego. Nobody can tell me what to do. Maybe it's our selfishness. I don't want anybody in my space. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's wounds from relationships gone wrong. You can probably add to the list. Here's a third one, and this is a biggie. Uh, third obstacle to the shared life is accusation. You know, Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of the world, right away in Genesis 3, the evil one comes into the world. And the evil one takes Eve, and he separates her. He separates her from Adam. I don't know where he is. And he separates her from God, and he begins to question, and he begins to uh, accuse and undermine and divide. He divided her from her, from Adam. He divided her from her God. He divided Adam from Eve saying, blaming her where, oh, this woman that you gave me, she's the one who caused all these problems. The evil one from the beginning of time has come in to divide us. In fact, the beginning of time, he comes in to, di to divide us. The end of time in the book of Revelation, when the, when Satan falls, you know what it says about him? It says this, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Jesus is raised to the throne of all time and the end of the world as we know it. And what does it say? The accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. And who did he accuse? Well, in the Book of Job, if you've ever read this, he um, he starts out by accusing Job before God. But you know, the other place he comes in is he accuses us between one another. He brings up things. He, he shines the light on things so we can be offended by the words or action of somebody else. The accuser of the, the brethren. There's a book out there by a pastor named John Bevere and and it's actually called The Bait of Satan, Living Free from the Deadly Trap of Offense. And here's one of the many things he says. Trials in this life will expose what is in your heart, whether the offense is toward God or others. Tests either make you bitter towards God and your peers or stronger. If you pass the test, your roots will go down deeper stabilizing you and your future. If you fail, you become offended, which can lead to defilement and bitterness. Trials. And trials all involve other people, right? Like those tests and trials, they often involve our relationships. When those things come in, we can have one of two responses to them. And the one response, our roots go down deeper and we become stronger. And the other one, the, the final line of that quote, John Bevere is actually quoting from the book of Hebrews that talks about that a root of bitterness can actually come in, take root in our hearts. Bitterness, when you and when you hold on to accusation and offense, bitterness roots itself in us and it can defile many it can defile many parts of our lives. It can defile many relationships. Uh, Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand it. It's going to fall. So 
there's obstacles. There's obstacles of accusation and division that want to come between us and separate us so that we aren't becoming who God wants us to be as individuals and as that shared life, as that body. You know, uh, one more thing about this, and then we're going to go on. Jesus never lets us off the hook. He says things like, if you know a brother or sister has something against you, go and make it right. And if you know you have something against a brother or sister, go and make it right. And if uh, if you see something, a speck in your brother's eye is the picture he paints. If you see something in your brother, but you ignore the log, he says, in your own eye, um, you got to go and you got to get those things in the right order. So he doesn't leave us off the hook. He says, if there's relational problems and breakdown and, and sin and things... It's each of our responsibility, yours and mine, to do what we can do to make those things right. So practices, practices to build a shared life. There's a beautiful part of scripture in the book of Acts. And one verse of it says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. This part of Acts chapter 2 is after, uh, really, the Spirit of God is poured out on the world and the first church is established, and there's a lot of really great things going on. They have everything in common, and they're going from house to house, and they're eating together, and they're worshiping together, and it sounds sweet, and it sounds beautiful, and it is, but it's work. Those relationships are work. We've got to be intentional about them. You know, I learned this. Early on in my life, in my late teens and my early 20s, for from the time maybe I was 19 till I was about 24 when I got married, um, I lived with people. I didn't just live with any old people. I lived with other young women from my church. And uh, we didn't just live together. We cooked together, and we grocery shopped together, and we spent significant time together. But here's what else we did. You know, um, Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens a brother. And in fact, you get sharper and you get better, even from friction in relationships. But we talk about um, how many one another scriptures there are in the New Testament. But here in my living situation for five years, different women over those five years, here's some of the things we did. We spoke the truth to one another in love. We learned how to um, not just overlook things, but actually to point one another to God and to the scriptures. We encouraged one another every day, or at least the best we could. We were on guard for one another. How could we be on guard for one another? Because we knew what was going on in one another's lives. We would bear one another's burdens because we opened up our hearts and shared with one another. We would serve one another. We would pray for and with one another. The list could go on, but it was in that close proximity that I first learned about shared life. And what made my life different were those close relationships. Bert, as a single man, lived in a similar situation, and he grew and he changed, and and there was that, that place of discipleship and true growth in our lives. Later, we got married and we had kids, and the pattern kind of continued. There were a lot of years in our life where Bert and I always had somebody live with us. It was usually a young person from our church. They were young, single, and they were people we were discipling, pouring our lives into, but also doing life hand in hand. There was um, Sandy and Monica and Anthony and, and Rick, and the list goes on over about a five, six-year period where always there was somebody living in our home with us and our kids, doing life together. Um, 
again, the one another's. We're in real place in real life. We're encouraging and speaking and strengthening one another. Ah, we have one friend we joke about to this day because he's still our friend, lifelong friend, but our buddy Wayne, he'd come to our house for maybe a leaders meeting, and Wayne sometimes wouldn't leave till one or two in the morning. Now, you might think that would be an annoying friend, and yet it was a shared life where we were talking about our 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 real life Christian life that we were living together and 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 uh, bringing our hopes and dreams and problems to one another and to this day that man we have a deep friendship with him and his wife not just friends but built on that depth of spiritual relationship. Uh, do you have to live together or have people live in your home? Well, maybe, but um, you got to make choice. You got to make choices. You got to put effort into it. You've got to spend time together. You've got to be open with one another and honest, uh, open our lives and our hearts to one another, open up our decisions, ask for input, ask for, um, ask for that wisdom that we can bring to one another. You've got to be purposeful. Uh, maybe next time we're together in person in September, look for somebody to say, hey, come out for lunch with me after church. Maybe it's time to start uh, to sign up to a small group or to invite somebody you meet on Sunday to join your small group. Maybe it's time to join a service team or to invite others to join the service team. Places where, oh, it's not everything, but there's some practical places as the church functions where we can get to know one another and build community. Um, here's one more little thing on, and, and that's that you got to fight for unity. Uh, why? Because from the beginning of time, there's an evil one who wants to separate us. Uh, one more little story here. Bert and I, a few, a few years ago, not that many years ago, we were in a really difficult relational situation, not between us with somebody else. Um, and we called on one of our pastors. Yes, pastors have pastors. We called on one of our pastors to come and help us in this situation, the situation we were in. And, and he was supportive and encouraging to us and he gave us wisdom and, and he shared one scripture that for me and my, just my my own heart was a turning point for me. It's from the book of Romans, and, and Paul writes that it, as far as it's possible for you, live peaceably with all. Now, if I, as far as it's possible with me, and you, as far as it's possible with you, work for that unity, to live at peace with one another, to work out our differences, we can live that shared life that really makes a difference. Lifelong relationships are really hard work. Which brings us to my final point, the goodness of our shared life. And Ephesians 4, um, Paul writes to the, the people at Ephesus, he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Uh, chapter 4 in Ephesians begins, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another. Make every effort, he writes. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul goes on. A few sentences later, he says, uh, he, he talks about another picture of how we're to be the body of Christ together. Another piece of this, he says, Christ himself gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip us for the work of service so that the body of Christ, all of us together might be built up. 
And then Paul, again, of course, drawing that image of the body says, speak the truth and love to one another, because this is how we're going to grow and to become mature in every respect, a mature body with Jesus, the head and all of us, the parts, and we're joined and held together by everything that we supply and we grow in love and we build one another up. And that's the beauty, the beauty, the goodness of life that's there for us if we pursue this shared life, a life that's worthy. We fight for unity. We're equipped by leaders and those around us. We grow together as we speak the truth in love and as we uh, bring all of ourselves into these relationships. Keller has another wonderful thing to say. Only, only if you are part of a community of believers seeking to resemble, serve, and love Jesus will you ever get to know him and grow in his likeness. A couple of other just quick things as we close here. You know, um, the Proverbs, about five different places, talks about guidance. And it says, where there's no guidance, people fall. But in the abundance of counselors, there's wisdom. You know there's safety in a shared life. If you have people trusted, believers, part of your church, part of your spiritual family, trusted voices where you can go to for counsel, there's safety there. In fact, the same kind of protection goes on in the book of Hebrews, where it says, encourage one another day after day. Why? Because we have a tendency, the scripture says, to get a hard heart, to be deceived by sin and unbelief. And the writer of Hebrews says, Part of this beauty of the shared life is that as we encourage one another day after day, there's actually protection for us, protection against unbelief, protection against sin, protection against hardness of heart that would separate us from God and others. Finally, you know, it's not perfect, shared life. It can be a little messy. Uh, No church is perfect. No relationships are perfect. But we're going to fight for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. in, in that book of Corinthians, um, I don't know, if you've read both letters to the Corinthians, their church was pretty messy. And yet in the midst of this, Paul writes this, he said, um, we have this treasure, the Spirit of God in earthen vessels, in jar clays, that the power that's displayed, the surpassing power, maybe God, not us. Yep, we've got it in fragile We've got God's power and the beauty of the Spirit in kind of fragile humanity. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. Jesus said, I'm praying for them. Jesus said, right before He went to be with the Father, He said, I'm praying for these folks. And I'm praying that as you sent me into the world, I'm going to send them. And here's what he said. I do not ask these things. When he prayed for us, he said, I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and I are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So what is some of the goodness of this shared life? Finally, it's our witness. And Jesus prayed these things for us, not just for you and for me, but that the world would know that they'd know our Jesus and that they'd know they'd see in us our love for one another and they'd see our Father. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.